heaven, we do come into your presence humbly, but yet uh, boldly because you tell us we can, not because we come in any merit of our own, not because we come in our own name, but we come in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who made it possible for us to be able to do what we're doing here this day, coming into your presence and worshiping and praising you and honoring you, Father. And laying our needs before you, and we're needy people. Uh, we have a list here of people dealing with all kinds of issues. Father, I just lift that list up to you, and I just pray you'd be the Lord and God of that list. You'd meet those needs. They have physical needs, they have emotional needs, they have spiritual needs. You know them, Father, better than we do. You know, them. You know those needs better than they do. And I just ask that you'd be their God. Just pray that doctors that are, would have the wisdom they need to have, medicine would do what it needs to do, and the bodies would respond in a positive way. And yes, Father, we, we know that you heal at other times, it's just uh, what we call miraculous healing. We know you do that also, and Father, we just, uh, just pray for your perfect will to be worked out in each one of these situations. We continue to thank you for our missionaries, and we thank you for them, Father, and thank you for that you have provided a means for us to support some of them. And uh, Father, we just hold them up to you, meet their needs, especially a lot of times at uh, holiday seasons can be lonely time for them as families gather back home and they won't be able to be a part of that. So just uh, bless them in a special way. Give them open doors for them that they can accomplish that that you've called them to do. As, uh, give them the boldness and the wisdom and yes, your protecting hand upon them. And uh, we just hold them up to you and thank you for them. Father, we continue to pray for our nation, our leaders. We continue to pray for our military. We're so thankful for this nation. And, and uh, yes, it's struggling, Father. And we, that's why we lift it up to you. And we just pray for salvation to happen. We just pray that you'd raise up Daniels to have a powerful impact on, in, in our nation and those that are leading our nation. And so just uh, be our God. Be the God of America. And Father, as you know where my heart is, I just pray for the church in America, that the church would truly turn around and become more, uh, more focused on your Son, Jesus Christ. That uh, pulpits would speak the truth in a bold and powerful way. That's the only hope our nation really has is to turn, to, for a turnaround as if your church becomes strong. So I pray for repentance to happen and pray for it to begin in your church. Now, Father, as we open the scriptures this morning, I just pray you would speak to us. <coughs> Father, we realize it's a closed book. It's just as our hearts are closed if your Holy Spirit don't do a work. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would be here presenting your word and uh, giving us understanding, guidance, and direction that we might uh, live a life that pleases you and that we might be able to be a witness and a testimony wherever it is you call us to walk. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Finished up with Thessalonians, so I wrestled around with what to do. Finally, I decided to ask, this, ask and try to answer this question. Why did Jesus come? Why did he leave the presence of heaven and all that heaven is, the perfection of heaven, and, and come to this earth, born in a stable, 
to an unknown peasant girl, teenager, to an unknown father, just a, a carpenter, unknown. Why would he leave all of that and come down to a dirty old stable and become flesh and blood? That's a question I want to ask and answer this morning. The text I'm going to read, I want you to listen to some things for it. One of the things I want you to listen to is the statement, saved from wrath. And also, the, some of the words we'll see in this text, Romans chapter 5 is where we're going, is a joy and peace and hope and love. These are words we hear a lot around the Christmas time. But what I want to focus on, this wrath of God. What's God's wrath? We can see it when we look at hell. That's where non-believers are going to spend eternity. That's where the false prophet and the Antichrist and those are going to spend eternity being punished forever and ever and ever because of sin. God's wrath is directed into hell. Another place we can see God's wrath is when the church is caught out and the world is left here for a seven-year tribulation, and that's God's wrath. If you read in Revelations, you'll see there that the people tried to hide from the wrath of the Lamb. And so we see God's wrath directed there. The third place we can see God's wrath directed, and that's at the cross of Jesus Christ. God's wrath was fully spent upon His Son, so it didn't have to be on me and you and any other buddy, anybody else that wants to put their faith in Jesus Christ. So why is God's wrath essential? Why is God's wrath necessary? God created man and created a habitation for us here on this earth. He created man in the image of God. God is responsible for his creation. So he's responsible for us. We're going to look at some things here this morning that we might not understand, we might not even necessarily agree with. But God is God, and it's his world, and he set the stage, and he set the program, and it's what he put in place, because he's God. And he's responsible. He's holy, he's just, and he cannot turn and look away from sin. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith through this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath. 
through him. For, in, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved from, by his life. But not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as though as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned, for until the law, sin was, all, was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there was no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin, according in the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is the type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. And the gift is not like that which came through one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one much more those who received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in the, the life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as, though, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, one man's righteous act, the free gift, came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many were made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but there were sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, so even grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Going to look at four reasons why we are under the wrath of God. The first reason is we sin. We're sinners. We disobey the law. We've all broke the law. Every one of us in multiple ways. And when Jesus was here on the earth, he pointed out the fact that even if you could keep the law out here, in here, we sin. For he said, if a man lusts after a woman, even if he don't touch that woman, if he lusts after that woman, he has committed adultery. He said, also said, if a man hates another man, even though if he don't kill him, if he hates him, he's a murderer broken the law. Jesus brought it about the fact the problem's in here. We have a problem inside of us. And we sin because of that. The second reason we sin is because we have a sin nature. I was born with that nature. I was born with a sin nature. And it manifested itself pretty early. You take an innocent little child can be very selfish and very demanding. They get that way. You see, that nature that's within us is, is selfish and it is rebellious against God. If we really honestly look at our attitude, sometimes we realize that. I've got this rebellious attitude. 
God says, don't do that. And I said, why not? I'll give the example. Years ago, North Platte, went in the men's bathroom, and there was a sign that said, wet paint. Don't touch. You know what I did? I wonder if it's dry. It was. I appreciate the sign. I didn't lean up against it, the wall, but I touched it to see. If what? That, that's just the way we are. That's our nature. If God says don't, well, I'm going to find out why. Don't step over that line. Why? We've got this nature in us that causes us to sin. The third reason we're under God's wrath is God has declared the entire human family as sinners. God has declared that. God has declared it because that's what we are. We have a sin nature and we sin. So God says, you're sinners. And God is holy and God is just and God is righteous. And God is responsible for his creation. So God says you're going to hold his creation accountable. You might say, you know, where do I get that sin nature? Well, I got it from Adam. You might say, well, that's not very fair. Well, there's a lot of things in this world that ain't fair. We don't want fair. We'll address that here in a little bit. Why couldn't God just, let's say somebody steals something from me. I'll pick on Lee. He's my neighbor. Say Lee slips up to my shop and steals a tool out of my shop. And then a little later he gets guilty. And he comes around and he says, Frank, I stole this Crescent Ranch or whatever. And I said, I said, well, that's okay. I went and bought another one. You just keep that one. I forgive you. It's okay. Why can't God do that? Why can't God forgive that way? Because he's holy. Because he's just. Because he's righteous. And he can't just push sin under the carpet. He can't act like he can't forgive that way. Because he's just. There has to be justice when God deals with us. But he's love, and he's merciful, and he's gracious, and he loves us sinners. The fourth reason that we're under the wrath of God is called federal headship. Adam was the first man, and because he was the first man, he's referred to as the natural head of humanity. He was given a lot of responsibilities. But he was given a free will, and he used that free will to disobey God. And when he done that, he established within the human race, the whole human race, a sin nature. That's where it came from. That's where it started. And so that's passed on down. So we say, well, that ain't very right. That ain't very fair, is it? that I have a sin nature because Adam, eons of generations back, chose to sin, chose to disobey. That's, that's not really very nice. 
for God to do that, is he? Bumper sticker says, my ancestors were human. Sorry about yours. You know, anybody, any Bible-believing Christian realizes and understands that we go back to Adam and that evolution is a lie. If you understand the Bible, you understand that. We all go back to Adam. Here in this last part of Romans 5, it deals about this federal headship. One man, sinner, sin entered all of humanity. And so all of humanity is guilty because of one man's sin. How, how does that work? You know, like I said, that doesn't seem very fair, but we don't want fair. Do you know what's fair? Hell. Hell's fair. Nobody's going to get anything in hell that they didn't deserve. Hell's fair. I don't want fair. You don't either. We want mercy. We want grace. We want to experience the love of God. That's what we want. We don't want fair. How does it work? I can give you this illustration. Yeah. See, I had that sin nature, and then before I was born, I was already condemned because of Adam's act of sin. It works a little bit like this. I'm the 11th generation of Scott. My daughter-in-law looked this up for me. I can't do computers that good, but my daughter-in-law, I'm the 11th generation of Scott that's on the New World. Eleven generations back, a guy by the name of Alexander Scott left the highlands of Scotland and came to America. When he made that choice to come to America, he chose for me to be born in America. He made that choice. That's how that federal headship works. I'll give you a biblical example too. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now we know what that is. Melchizedek some believe was the pre-incarnate Christ. If he wasn't pre-incarnate Christ, he definitely was a type of Christ. And Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. And this scripture says that Levi paid tithes through Abraham. I'm going to read that again. Listen to this. We need to get our mind wrapped around this. Even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Still in the loins of his father. DNA. The Bible knew about DNA before DNA knew about DNA. His DNA was in Abraham. My DNA was in a guy that I don't know. 
I hope he's a Christian. I'd like to meet him someday. Alexander Scott. My DNA was in Alexander Scott. My DNA moved from the highlands of Scotland to the highlands of West Virginia. That's where they settled. My DNA was there. My sin came right down through all of that too. It's called the federal headship. And that's how we wound up where we're at today. Guilty. Sinners. Listen to what Vernon McGee says. Making a comment on the this fifth chapter. We have already seen that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us by the death of Christ, the first part of the chapter. Christ is the head of a new race, a new redeemed man, and the church is his body, a new creation. The hymn writer put it accurately. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and word. The church is a new creation, a new race. This is what Paul says, and so it is written. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. The first man is of the earth, earthly. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Did we get that? He quoted 1 Corinthians 15, verses 45 and 47. Now listen to this. Now there will not be a third Adam, for Christ is the last Adam. Don't mess that. Christ is the last Adam. There will be a third and a fourth and a midred of men because Christ is the second man. But he's not the second Adam. He is the last Adam and the head of a new race. Some of these things are a little hard to wrap our mind around. But did you get that? Jesus Christ is the last Adam. There will not be another Adam. He is our head. He's the headship of the church. There's going to be a lot of new men born into the church. We're 2,000 years down the road, and there's a lot of people been born into the church by a spiritual birth. The new creation, the church, but we still got the necessity of why did Christ have to come? Man's problem is, is with sin, singular. It goes beyond the acts of sin that we commit. Our problem is sin. Sin is an imputation. Scott Mathis made this statement one time. He was working with a young man that was caught up in alcoholism. And Scott understands alcoholism. He came out of it himself. And he said, I knew that guy was going to be okay when he said, I don't have an alcohol problem. I've got a sin problem. Bingo. Get it? I don't have an alcohol problem, i got a sin problem. Does he have to deal with his alcoholism? Yes. We do. We all have to. I just confess to you guys, 
not too many weeks back that I was dealing with my gluttony, that I'm a glutton. I have to deal with that. Why am I a glutton? Because I've got a sin problem. You see, if all we do is deal with the acts of sin, all we're doing is cutting a snake's tail off. Jesus Christ cut his head off at the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where sin was dealt with. That's where my sin was dealt with. And until a sinner comes to the cross of Jesus Christ and realizes that that cross is empty and there's an empty tomb behind it, death was defeated, sin was defeated, I can have eternal life in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Why? I've got a sin problem. And I will have a sin problem until the day I die. Or the trumpet. That's what I'm looking for. I, you know, I keep reminding you folks every Sunday that it could be this next week. We could be out of here. We get so much of the time, we get so caught up, and in, 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 it has to be dealt with. I don't want to lighten that. We get so caught up in, in dealing with these acts of sin. We realize we need to come to the realization he's already dealt with the problem of sin at the cross. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but the life that I live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a process. Salvation begins with positional salvation. When I come to Jesus Christ by faith, he saves me, and I'm seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus, but I'm still walking on this earth, and I still have this sin issue going on in my life. But I've got to learn to walk by faith in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit, and not in my own strength. That's a lesson we all have to learn. We start trying to deal with these issues of life in our own strength, and we fall flat on our face, and it's a blessing, even though we don't realize it when we're laying there on our face. That's a blessing, because if you can defeat it in your own strength, you're not going to turn to Him, and you're not going to experience the new life that we have in Christ Jesus. And so when we deal with sin issues and we find victory in our own strength, we're missing the real blessing. Personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And what that blessing relationship can be all about. Why did Jesus have to come? Because man needed a sacrifice for sin. The Lamb had to come to establish a new heavenly race, the church, and to rescue all those that had put their faith on him, faith in that promise in the Old Testament. John the Baptist introduced Jesus, said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin, singular, of the world, dealing with what I'm talking about this morning. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then in Revelations it says that he, 
the whole Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the world. God knew our need before he ever created us, and he put together the plan of salvation for us. Are we loved? Absolutely. Is God merciful? Absolutely. Is God gracious? Absolutely. Is God just? Absolutely. Is God holy? Absolutely. Does God love us? Absolutely. Look at the cross. Look at what he done. We are a blessed people. We are a loved people. The lamb had to come, and for th- years and years and years, in the Old Testament under the law, even it went clear back to Genesis, when God sacrificed an animal and clothed Adam and Eve in the skins of an animal, it went clear back to then. They would inspect a lamb to make sure it didn't have no blemish because it was supposed to be a type of Christ. And then they would slay that animal and sacrifice that animal. That went on for hundreds of years. And all that did for all those sins was just move them ahead. It did, there was no forgiveness there. There was no cleansing there. there was, nothing was really dealt with. It just postponed And if they learned to sacrifice those animals by faith, looking forward to what that spoke of, the Lamb of God, their sins was moved ahead and taken care of when Jesus Christ died on the cross. And when he said, it is finished, their sins was dealt with. Otherwise, it was just postponed. It was just put off. And since the cross, we look back by faith and put our faith there. Our sins. Why did Jesus have to come? Because we needed a Savior. Why did God have to be flesh? Because man had to pay for the sin of man. And there wasn't nobody qualified other than Jesus Christ. He came, he lived the sinless life, he went to the cross, and he was sacrificed there. God had to turn his back on him while he was on that cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus didn't become sin, but sin was placed upon him, and he paid the price for sin. He experienced the wrath of God, so we don't have to experience the wrath of God. Jesus died... My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God, he died alone. He died a sinner's death. I will never know that. I don't know how I'll die. I don't know when I'll die. I'm hoping for the rapture, but if I die, I die. I will never die alone, separated from Jesus Christ because of what he did. A person that does not know Jesus Christ, that's the death that wakes him. Sin had to be paid for, so Jesus had to come. Humanity is without hope. And so he came. And so we have a hope. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
do you realize one thing? God loved us, but his love couldn't save us. We're not saved by God's love. We're saved by God's sacrifice. In his grace, he sent the lamb to take away the sins of the world. And the only hope we have is to put our faith in him. We're saved by grace through faith. He's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's a God of hope. He's a God that's just. He's a God that's holy. Jesus, today, our job is to hold up to the rest of the world that that we have found. There's hope. His name is Jesus Christ. We live in a hopeless world. And you look at what the world's going through, what the world's trying to do. We, we, we think there's... We put our hope in the next election. We put our hope in expanding our business. And, you know, I don't want to own the whole world. I just want to own the land that touches my land. You know, that, that, that's a greedy nature. We put our hope in all these kind of things and it's hopelessness because there's no hope there. We have the message of hope. His name is Jesus Christ. The whole world's condemned. All God asks us to do is share his love. Share the message. That's all God asks us to do is share the message of hope. And so when we come to the Christmas season, all the family gatherings in the Christmas gathering, that's all that, that used to frustrate me terrible. I finally decided, Frank, just go with it. Just go with it. I, I enjoy the family. Thanksgiving's my favorite holiday because I don't have to worry about gifts and all that stuff. I just got to eat. There's my gluttony there. See? It's good to get together. It's good to interact. It's good to make connections. And Christmas is a good time to do that. But in the midst of it all, let's not get self-focused and forget the message. That's all he asks us to do. Tell somebody you're loved. You're without hope, but you're loved. Let me tell you where there's hope and your hopes in Jesus Christ. Father God in heaven, we just thank you for your word. I do just pray, Father, that you would give us a boldness to share the hope that we have. Hope's one of the messages of the Christmas season. And so, Father, just open some doors for us and give us some boldness to just put some love on some people. Embrace others. Help us to love the unlovable and forgive the undeserving. For that's what you did for us. Thank you for the cross and the work that you've done on that cross where you, de- you dealt with the head of sin and not just the tail. And we, we still have to deal with 
issues of the tail, but thank you that the head has been dealt with. And we have victory, and all we have to do is keep trusting and keep waiting, and you will bring us to that place of victory with every issue of sin that we have to deal with. But thank you, you took care of the big question, the big issue. You defeated sin and death. And there's victory and there's hope. Help us to walk in that truth, live that truth, share that truth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.